Once again, as I said, welcome this morning. I hope that you had an amazing Thanksgiving. And uh, it's so good to see some of you here this morning. Uh, Well, it's so good to see all of you. Not just some of you. It's good to see all of you. I was thinking some of you have family that are here with you this morning. But as I'm thinking, as it, you, do you ever like say things and then you hear yourself say it? And I'm like, that's probably not how I meant it. It's so good to see some of you, not all of you. No, it really is good to see all of you. But it's good to meet the family that some of you have with you uh, here that I'm sure we're in town celebrating Thanksgiving. And I hope you had an amazing time with family and friends celebrating. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a great time. I know for Wendy and I, there's so much to be thankful for. And I think in moments like this, a season like this, you could feel as though, man, what is there to be thankful for? There's so much. And uh, it's gratitude. As Just as Adrian was saying, the path forward from where you're at is paved with gratitude. And gratitude will uh, go a long way. And so uh, I just hope that as you get ready for Christmas, that you just continue to stay focused on just a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. And uh, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for uh, the love that you show to so many around you. Um, Even as I was talking about Christmas compassion, the love that you show to so many. uh, So many families uh, hopped on last week right after service to adopt families. I'm just overwhelmed with your generosity to share and love on families this Christmas season. Well, we are wrapping up this series called City on a Hill, and we started this kind of tied into Vision Weekend that we had a few weeks ago, and and really it it is anchored on this principle that God has given us vision. Uh, There's a vision that he's given you for your life personally, but there's also a vision that he's given us as a church family, a spiritual family, that the vision that we have, and as we look at vision for our life, and anytime you read about vision, and you read about God having a vision for your life, it's always tied, as you read through the word, where it's tied to helping other people. It's, it's, it makes an impact in other people's lives. I want you to open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew 5 here in just a little bit by way of review. And then we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So you can open up your Bible and just kind of leave your finger, Matthew 5, and then 2 Peter chapter 1. But this vision that we're talking about, really, where do we get that idea? This isn't just some good leadership teaching. Vision is not just a principle that you hear about when you're in a leadership circle. Vision really originates with Jesus. Jesus had vision. He lived life with vision, and his vision was very clear. Luke Chapter 19, verse 10, makes it very clear what his vision is. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And what I love about Jesus' vision is this. Jesus' vision isn't just nice, it's necessary. You see, there's a group of people, you and I, humanity, that were separated from God. And they were doing all the things that they could to try and close the gap between them and God the Father. But it wasn't until Jesus came and he made up the difference. When he came and he died on the cross for our sins, for you and for me. And so what happens here is that we recognize that Jesus and what he did in the vision that he lived out, it wasn't just something nice, it was necessary. Now when you think about that phrase, nice and necessary, I think about Christmas and I think about Thanksgiving. You know, we we just got done celebrating Thanksgiving. And and I don't know about you, I love asking people, you know, what is your go-to? What's your favorite for Thanksgiving? What's the thing that you just absolutely have to have? What is that one thing? 
And you think about those things. And, and some people said, well, you know, it's the smoked turkey. And, and then some people said, well, you know, I lived in southeast Louisiana for a little while. They don't call grandma grandma. They call her mama. Mama's sweet potato casserole. Or is mama's pie. Pumpkin pie. I mean, you name it. What is it for you? Everyone has their thing. You have their thing. Like, you have to have it. It's like the stuffing. It's like the mashed potatoes. It's the gravy. Whatever it may be. Even now, you're smiling. You're smiling because you're thinking about that one thing that you have to have. It is necessary. It is not Thanksgiving without it. And you've all had those moments. When someone didn't make the thing they always make, and it's like, well, it's just not Thanksgiving anymore. I just, I just can't go on living. We didn't have this, okay? But then there's things that are just nice. You know what I'm talking about? And, and listen, I, I, I don't want to offend anyone, but, but cranberries, just, it's just, it's nice. Take it or leave it. Now, some of you, you're, you're next level cranberry sauce people. Like you like make it and like you boil it down and it's like this thing and there's like like whole cranberries in it and then you throw it in the fridge. I'm getting some head nods. Okay, well, I'll try your cranberry sauce, okay? But I remember growing up, the cranberry sauce that I had, it scarred me for life. Because it was the stuff they got in the can, right? And they just, you know what I'm talking about? And they just kind of dump it out on the plate. And it still held the grooves of the can. Look, I felt like I was eating dog food. And for whatever reason, they thought if they like sliced it up, then it like made it like normal. It made it feel good. Like, no, 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 no. That's just not, that's nice. That's nice. Not necessary. Okay, we, we, we don't need that. We don't need, and okay, you're saying, okay, what's the point, Chris? What is the point, nice and necessary? We've been looking at this phrase, sitting on a hill. And we've been looking at what it looks like that Jesus, when he came, it wasn't just something nice that he did. When he came and he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It wasn't just something nice that you could take or leave. It wasn't just something that you had to endure, like some of you had to endure the conversations around the table with family this past week. Okay, It wasn't just something that you had to endure. It was necessary. It was necessary because it brought impact in people's lives. It was necessary because there was this distance, this gap between us and God, and Jesus closed the gap. And what I love about Jesus is you continue to, to listen to the words and read the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most famous sermons ever given that Jesus ever spoke. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's unpacking these principles, and he's talking. In fact, he starts in, in chapter 5, and he, he gives what's called the Beatitudes. There's these eight principles where they almost seem like a paradox. They almost seem like, you know, it's backwards. It's like, you know, the meek will inherit the earth, and, and those that mourn, they will be filled with gladness. And, and you have all these different phrases and these principles that Jesus is communicating, and he continues needs to go on, and, and we, we read last week, starting in verse 13, that he says, you are the salt of the earth, that last week we talked about God's called us to be salt and called us to be light. And so you have people that are gathering. There's all these people coming from all over. Some people have traveled for almost a week to come and hear the words of Jesus and meet him and see him and experience what's going on here. And Jesus comes into this verse, verse 14, which is what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the entire house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So you think about the people that are here listening to these words. You have the religious leaders that that are thinking they know better. You have the zealots that are wanting to fight. There's a group of people called the Essenes, and they were this, this group of people that are highly organized. They're thought to have written the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're there, and they're going, well, we need to hide. I don't know what's going on. We're not certain. And then they're just common people. They're just going, we're just along for the ride. We're not sure what to expect. And yet Jesus is saying, you. Now, that word you, when you read it, you think that means just me, personal. But that word you, actually in the original context, has a a plural connotation to it. It actually means corporately. You as a group, you as a people, you are a city on a hill. There's a light that you have that pushes back darkness. And we want you to walk in that light. Don't hide it. Because what happens is when people see that light, then people see Jesus. People's lives are impacted when they see the light and when they see the good works. The good works you're doing, the things that you do, they're not for God to see. They're for others to see because it brings light into their life. And what I love about the power of this, remember, it's Jesus saying these words. When you think of the first words that God spoke, he said, let there be light. Jesus was there in that moment when God spoke the earth into existence. And he's saying, I remember being in that moment. It's as if Jesus is going, I remember the moment when God the Father said, let there be light, and light came and pushed back darkness. And he's saying, you're like that light. You're like a city on a hill pushing back darkness. That's who he's called you to be. And that phrase we looked at last week, that that we said, you are, are this is who you are and that you would see yourself the way God sees you you are a city on a hill you're a city on a hill there is light in you that pushes back darkness and that when you live that out other people see that light and and lives are impacted you see we're in a critical moment in society within the church Within life, we're in a critical moment. And people are looking for hope. They're looking for hope in their life. And the hope that they find is in Jesus. But Jesus here is saying, I'm inviting you in to this vision that I have to seek and to save the lost, to see lives impacted. I'm inviting you in to play a part. I'm inviting you in to play your role. I'm inviting you in to be a part of what's happening, to see lives impacted and lives transformed. We're in this critical moment because right now, we're not just simply in a physical, medical, global pandemic. We're in a spiritual pandemic. People are, are overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. There's, they're, they're, they're despondent. Even now, when you look at statistics of depression and suicide, it actually incre- increases in December. That's before there's a global pandemic. And people have been isolated and social distancing and going through job layoffs and transitions and trying to figure out how they're going to live their life and how they're going to provide for their family and what it looks like because what they once had at one point in life now looks completely different. And see, what happens is when you're walking through different difficult times. People process bad news in different ways. I think the first way that people sometimes process bad news is it's pervasive. 
It's pervasive. It, it means everything is terrible. Everything is terrible. And, and, and then it, it moves into being permanent. It's always going to be this way. You know what I'm talking about? And, and look, you've experienced pervasive and permanent if you have kids. You're going, is it always going to be this way? Or your kids are old enough and they say phrases like I heard yesterday when I'm talking to the kiddos. We're setting up for Christmas. We got Christmas movies on. We're putting the decorations out. You know, we have hot chocolate. We didn't have hot chocolate, but my kids wanted hot chocolate. They're like, we're setting everything up. We got Christmas music on, Christmas movies going on. If you get easily distracted, it would have been a mess for you because there's noise and movies and music. But it was awesome. We loved it. But it was amazing in that moment, all of a sudden, Two of my little girls, they kind of they get into it a little bit. And, and the oldest is frustrated with the middle one. You know what I'm talking about? If you've got kids, you've experienced this. And the oldest starts saying things like, she just always thinks about herself. And she just never thinks about anyone else. And everything is always about her. I'm like, really? Always? Never? Everything? It's amazing how we can live life in these permanent, pervasive lenses that it's always going to be this way. Everything is terrible. It's always going to be like this. But can I tell you something? It doesn't just happen when you're 10 and 8. It happens when you're 38, 48, 58, 68, 98, and 8. And anything and everything in between. You see, what we're experiencing now is you have this experience where it's Everything is terrible. It's always going to be this way. But then here's what begins to happen. It moves from pervasive to permanent to then personal. And it starts with anger at others, but eventually it moves to, it's my fault. It's my fault that there's a fracture in this relationship. It's my fault. If I would have just done blank. And that's what begins to happen as bad things, difficult moments, difficult situations come along. But here's the thing. If you think... That when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, then in one minute everything is going to change. You're mistaken. Let me just help you a little bit. You're mistaken. It's not going to change. And you're thinking, I just wanted to go back to the way it was. Listen, perhaps the thing that's needing to change is not the way in which you operate and function and the things that you may or may not have to do that seem inconvenient when you're going into a grocery store or when you're going somewhere else. What's happening is, what is our perspective on how we see life? You see, because... Once we are done with all of this COVID-19 and all the things we're going through, once you walk through the challenges and the difficult moments and all the bad news, you're still going to be tempted in some moment when you go through some circumstance or situation to think everything's terrible, it's always going to be this way, and it's my fault. It's human nature, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's hope, and that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. See, what's interesting is, and what I was, even just this morning as I was thinking and praying about you and as I was doing a, a, a little study this morning, today's actually the first day of Advent. And some of you may be familiar with Advent. Advent is, is a moment that it starts on the 29th, goes all the way up to Christmas Day. Advent actually means arrival or coming. And what happened is the first Advent was the Israelites waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Now, they thought the Messiah was going to come one way, that it was going to look a certain way, and that things were going were to happen a certain way, but it didn't. 
Jesus came, the Messiah came as a baby. And he came and he transformed and impacted the world. Well, there's this continued waiting, this arrival that we're looking for, this coming. And it's Jesus coming again. It's Jesus coming. And that's what we're going to look at in, in, in the words of, of Peter in, in 2 Peter in just a minute. There's this arrival. There's this waiting. You see, Advent communicates and expresses a hope and an anticipation. You see, what are you anticipating and hoping for? And I'm not just talking about when 2021 comes around. Because you may be thinking, oh, I can't wait till 2021 comes. I can't wait for the new year to start. All this behind us. Get rid of 2020. I mean, 2020, poor 2020. You know what I mean? It's got 10 years from now, you're going to be like, man, today was such a 2020. You know? It's like it's got like a phrase to it now. It's like, and we all know what it means. You know what I mean? And it's like, what is happening? But it's not just when all of a sudden 2020 comes. 2021 comes around. What are you going to do with the rest of 2020? What are you expecting for? What are you believing God to do? What are you hoping for in the rest of this year that God can do in your life, God can do in your heart, God can do in your relationships, God can do in your marriage, in your family, in your kids, in the things that mean the most to you? You see, Peter is writing to a group of people that seemingly could feel how we feel. During a moment of being persecuted, Peter's writing to the church in Asia Minor. Asia Minor basically is modern-day Turkey. And, and he actually wrote this second letter not long after he wrote the first letter, which, as you study, would, would, would probably communicate the fact that he's really trying to get his point across. He's writing to a group of people. There, there's persecution false teachers, there's division, people are discontent. They are wondering, is it really necessary for me to be a city on a hill? Is it really necessary for me to live out and be who God has called me to be and do what God has called me to do to make a difference and make an impact? And that's who he's writing to. He's writing to this church. And and, and they're feeling maybe what many of us are feeling. How? Why? What's it going to look like? How, how do I live as a city on a hill? And, and, and what is it that God is actually asking of me? What is he wanting me to do? Because, see, what begins to happen is this. As Jesus is working in people's lives, Jesus is doing things in us because as he's doing things in us, he's preparing us for where we're going. When you think back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gets done with the Sermon on the Mount, and look, he, he, he goes all the way down, and then they get into a boat, right? And he, they go across, and more ministry happens, more miracles happen. And there's a storm. I actually shared about the storm a few weeks ago. What do you do, and, and how do you respond? Can you have certainty in uncertain times? You can. And what happens is Jesus speaks to the storm. Now, Jesus can... Speak to the storm in your life, but he'd he'd much rather speak to your heart. He'd much rather speak to you because when you begin to trust in him, you begin to see how he's working and moving in your heart and in your life. And so we're going to look at the words of Peter because here's the thing about Peter. Peter was there. Peter was there at the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was listening in that moment. Peter was in the boat when that storm came. Peter experienced all of those things, and he understands that the people are going, how? What does this look like? What is God asking of us? What do we need to do? And we're going to pick up 
2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence by which He has granted, us, granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He's saying, Peter's saying, God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything that you need, he's given it to you. For life, what does he mean by life? Well, it's your daily living. You can actually live a life honoring God every single day in all that you do and all that you put your hand to. Yes, you can, you can honor God when you're going to work. You can honor God when you're, going, uh, when you're at home. You can honor God when you're going to your school, in your classroom. You can honor God when you're interacting and engaging. You can honor God when you go to the grocery store. You can live a life that honors God. And you may think, really? To the grocery store? Have you ever been to Costco on Saturday? You need Jesus. I mean, you see how many people are in there? I mean, it's a, it's a full on, I mean, it's full on, I mean, it's tackle football in there. It's like, you best get in there. You're trying to get, like, I need that, I need that. You know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. That's what Peter's saying. I've given you everything you need for life, but then also for godliness. That word godliness is unique because that word is a compound word. Actually means well and worship. You can actually live well. You can worship God with your life. You can live a life that honors God on a daily basis. He has given you. So when you look and you're going, how do I do this? How do I live as a city on a hill? How do I make a difference? How do I make an impact? Can I live a life in this way? Peter's saying, God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you all you need that you may be partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? That, that you may live a life as Christ lived life. You may live a life because he is the goal. He is the example. And you can live a life that looks that way. He, and what, what's happening here is in these first few scriptures, Peter's saying, here's what God's done to, for you. Here's God's part. But then he transitions and he goes, now here's your part. Look at what he says, starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So, for this reason, I want you to make every effort. That's strong words, make every effort. Have you ever tried something with effort? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly, brotherly affection with love. He's not saying that faith isn't enough. He's saying, I want you to add to your faith. I want you to build. I want you to grow. I want you to make every effort. You know, if you study any type of leadership or if you're into those things and you listen to, to, to podcasts or read and you study leadership in any frame or any context, you're going to hear and see this phrase at some point. It's called the growth mindset. 
Talk about leaders that really succeed and get things done. They have what's called a growth mindset. They're always looking to grow. They're always looking to move forward. They're always looking to excel. Can I tell you something? That didn't originate with some leadership teaching, some leadership podcast. That originated with Jesus. The vision that he had, that's from Scripture. Make every effort to move forward, to have a growth mindset, to want to grow and add to yourself. Why? Here's why. Continue reading in verse 8 and 9. This is what happens when we grow and develop our faith. For if these qualities are, if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, he was cleansed from his former sin. There it is, Peter's speaking again to, to vision. He's speaking in perspective. He's saying, if you aren't taking these qualities, making them yours, owning it, you got to own it, increasing in them, then what happens is you'll be unfruitful and you'll be ineffective. You see, for me, I live life, I like efficiency. I don't know about you, I like to do things with efficiency. I remember growing up, my dad would tell me, Son, the fastest way between two points is a straight line. I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, but sometimes in life, you look more like you're learning how to, how to paddle a canoe for the first time. Left, right, left. You, you're going all over the place rather than actually moving forward. Not very efficient. Now, sometimes it's great when efficient and effective line up, but they don't always. But if I have to make a choice between efficient and effective, guess what? I'm going to choose effective every time. I'm learning that even now with my little girls. I told you, I'm the oldest of three boys. I wasn't even raised with sisters, so I didn't even know what it looked like to have a daughter. But now having daughters going, listen, I want to know what it looks like. I want to know their heart. I want to get to know them. Can I tell you, when you're having a conversation with a 10 and 8 and a 6-year-old, when you're taking time to listen, when you're taking time to have a conversation, it's not always real efficient. But it is effective. And that's what I want to live for. I want to live for effective. I want to live for fruitful. And what does Peter say? He says, if I'm taking these things and owning it, and I make and I'm adding to them in increasing fashion, then what happens is I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to be effective. I'm not going to be nearsighted or blind. I'm going to live with vision so I can be a city on a hill. I can make a difference, make an impact in those around me, starting in my home, then in my neighborhood, in my community, at work, at the clubs or the school you're a part of, all of those things in your city. You make a difference. And this is God's promise when we live this way, when we understand what it looks like. And we recognize, well, okay, well, again, where does this come from? Well, remember, God did his part. God did his part. He did his part. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And when we add to our faith and we make every effort to grow and to develop and to add, that word supplement, it means to add to. When we supplement to our faith, all of those things, not that faith isn't enough, it's that we need to continue to grow in. Then what happens is we are effective and we are fruitful, living with vision. You see, that's what it looks like. That vision that we have for our own life, but then that vision that we have and that we can have for us as a church family, as a spiritual family. 
And over the next few minutes, I want to make it real practical because you're going, okay, Chris, I hear what you're saying. I need to be a city on a hill. God's given me everything I need for life and godliness. That's great. I need to grow in my relationship with God. I need to grow in these areas. I need to develop and grow my faith. How do I do that? What does that look like? What is God asking of me? Because that's the question we all are wanting to know. What's God asking of me? What is God asking me to do? What is he asking of me that that I may be able to to grow in this way, that I may be able to live a life that's effective, that I may be able to be a city on a hill? Well, I think the first thing that he's asking of us is this, is move closer to him. Move closer to him. The irony is that God always makes the first move. I shared with you before, God is always drawing near to us, and it it never fails. We're, We're always leaning away. We're, we're always pulling away, a little gunshot. And all God is saying is, I'm just asking for your yes. What do you need to say yes to? What's God speaking to you? And what is God asking you to say yes to? What is he, what is he, what is he put in front of you for the remainder of 2020? What's he asking you to say yes to in 2021? How you can be a city on a hill how you can make a difference, how you can be a part of impacting people's lives around you. Because remember, Jesus' vision was very clear. And he's inviting us in to that vision. He's saying, you are this, you are a city on a hill. Now don't hide it. Don't hide it and put it under a basket. But let people, let your light shine because people see your good works, the things that you are called to do and who you are called to be. Just move close. See, because your yes today will give you strength for the storm of tomorrow. This won't be the last storm you're going to face. The storm that you're in and the challenges that you're experiencing and the things that you're walking through, this will not be the last one. You can live with vision. You can walk through this storm. And as I said, Jesus can speak to the storm, but he'd much rather speak to your heart. You see, there's power on the other end of your yes, because when you say yes, what happens is you begin to draw close to him and you begin to grow. You begin to grow. You begin to see God work and move in your life. And what begins to happen is the second thing is you begin to see that all faith is connected. What do you mean all faith is connected? What do you mean by all faith is connected? Well, the, the same faith that you have and you walk with, the same faith that you have when when you're trusting to hear God's voice is the same faith you have when you step out in obedience to do what he's asked you to do. The same faith that you have for God to move in your marriage is the same faith that you have when you need wisdom to lead your children. The same faith that you have when you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is the same faith that you use when forgiving someone else who's hurt you and who's wounded you. You see, we compartmentalize things because it helps us make sense of stuff, right? It's not just us as men. You know, oftentimes men, you get labeled. We get labeled as like, oh, they just compartmentalize. I just kind of, you know, I just shut it off. And we, we only do that to try and make sense of stuff. God's not that way. Everything affects everything. And if you have walked with faith in one area of life the same way God was faithful for you in that area, he will be faithful for you in another area. But it's amazing how we at times can't see that. 
We think, oh, well, I had faith for this, but faith for that. Well, I, whew, I can't have faith for that. It's like a missions trip. You ever been on a missions trip? And you had to raise money and raise support and raise funds. The same faith you had to have to raise the money is the same faith you need to have to minister to the people. It's the same faith. And if you will grow in one area, you'll recognize that you can grow in all areas because they work together. But if you kind of close off an area of your life, well, God, you were good here and you were faithful here and you were with me here. But, oh, you won't be there. Then that area begins to lag behind. That's not how God intended for it to be. The faith that you have for him to provide for your family. It's the same faith that you had when you were believing that he was going to provide a spouse. When, when he was going to bless you with a child. When he was going to work and move in your heart and your life. You see, the same faith that you had in one area is the same faith that you can have in another. And when you understand that, here's what begins to happen. It's the third thing God's asking of us. You begin to put your faith in action. He's saying, put your faith in action. Put, put it to work. Who are the people around you? That's why I'm so proud of you. Last week, so grateful for you. Already so many of you putting it into action. We talked about Christmas compassion and adopting families and things like that. Can I tell you, between all of our campuses, we're adopting like 225 families across greater DFW. It's awesome. But here's the amazing thing. It's not just simply uh, what I love about adopt a family is, uh, listen, we're a generous church because you're a generous people. We could go and just go, hey, you know, what? let's just buy some stuff and resources for these different families. But you know what I love about adopt a family? It's one family going, we want to, and I love it because I, I, every one of them, I'll see that when they come in, it's like, give me the greatest need. I want to I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, and people just being generous, generous. What are they doing? They're putting their faith into action, saying, I want to bless a family that otherwise may not have a. And Christmas is not about all the gifts. It's not about all the toys and kids getting a bunch of stuff. But can I tell you something? It's amazing how when people step up and put their faith into action. The way in which it begins to spark life into another family or another child's life because they see how God provided for them and how God made a way and how God worked in their heart and in their life. You see, that's what it looks like to be in everyone church. For you, as you get ready for 2021, what are the things God's asked of you? What are the things that he's asking of you? The things he's called you to do. We are in everyone church and you can't play everyone's part but you can't play your part there's a part that you play you are a city on a hill and he's called you to make a difference and make an impact there's only a few weeks left in 2020 but as adrian said before you get so rushed to to get into 2021 what is it that god's asking you to say yes to for the remainder of 2020 how is he asking you to be a city on a hill? Who are the people around you that are just waiting for you to say yes to inviting them to church? Saying yes to sharing the gospel with them. Saying yes to being kind and extending a hand. Who are the people that are waiting for you to be who God's called you to be? A city on a hill. You see, it's not just nice. Christmas compassion, joy, Adopt a family. Being a city on a hill, it's not just nice. It's necessary. Why? 
Because it wasn't just nice for Jesus to come as a baby and spend 30 years growing, developing, and waiting for three years of ministry to then pay the price and die on the cross for our sins. It wasn't just nice. It was necessary. Necessary for you and for me to close the gap and make up the difference. For us to be a city on a hill, it's not just nice, it's necessary. For us to reach people and build lives, to see people come to Christmas services and give their life to Jesus that otherwise wouldn't normally come to a service, but they'll come to Christmas service. They'll come to candlelight service with you. To see what God's going to do in 2021 and the lives that are going to be impacted and changed. The families and the generations that are going to be impacted and changed. Because we said yes to being a city on a hill.